10-5, he's into the end zone, touchdown Arkansas State. Deflected into the hands of Feltz, Avery for three, hits, cover is safe, the Red Wolves have walked it off. Welcome to the Second to None Podcast, the A-State Podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else. Matt Stoltz and Brad Bowen. And we welcome you in to the Second to None Podcast. Presented by Simmons Bank. It's the first week of school. Always a busy time. We had move-in day over the weekend, the big move-in day. Bid days, I know that was going on over the weekend as well. So the students have been getting on campus. Classes are starting. And, of course, that means we're getting really close to football season. Preseason camp, as you're listening to this, is officially over. Yep. Final scrimmage was Saturday. I know you and I were both out there. Chance for the guys to get those live reps in. But here we are now, less than two weeks away from kickoff. Yeah. Listen, on something else kind of related to that, I understand there are questions sometimes about scrimmages and if they're open and if they're not. And there were some 1,200 club members there Saturday and even some sweet holders. You know, there were a few sweet holders up in their thing. So it's not like there was this to do of what maybe people have used to seeing in the past. And I don't know how much things like that happen anywhere across the board. I would think in a lot of cases, you know, these scrimmages, even spring games, I think a lot of the shines off spring games nationwide because coaching staffs anymore, just treat their practices like practices. And it just so happens that Saturday was the day that their practice schedule had them scrimmaging some, and they had 1200 club members, able to go and that's obviously an organization that you know is a sort of a, a booster club straight for football that coach jones does and so you know there wasn't a it, there maybe was a, a a fanfare type event folks are used to but that's not just an a-state thing i mean i think you see fewer things like that going on across the board coaches treat their practices like, like practices. practices yeah makes sense so that was going on Saturday, the, the final scrimmage, but there were also other events happening across campus, including the volleyball team. They yep. had their scarlet and black scrimmage. You were able to go out to a little bit of that, Saw you? some of that. Yeah, they had the teams. I guess Coach Gerwig did a good job of splitting the teams up because it was best of three, and it went to a third set. And even the first set, I think that the set I got to see was 25-23, so... They did a heck of a job of making the teams, and Coach Gerwig obviously brings a a lot of excitement here just because he was here when A-State had a lot of success on the volleyball floor and the energy of a first-time head coach, and I think he's got something like seven newcomers, and one people around here talk a lot about Clara Parker, the Jonesboro High School product, two-time Gatorade Player of the Year. Has transferred in, started her career at Arkansas, came to Arkansas State, and if you want to know why, go ask her. She'll tell you. I came here because of Brian Gerwig. Coached her in club ball, and she wanted to come be a part of his program. Meanwhile, the season starts for real this week. This weekend, the A-State Invitational will be on campus. The Red Wolves will open up the season Friday at 12.30 against Mississippi Valley State. They'll take on St. Louis Friday at 7, so two games on Friday. And then Little Rock, non-conference opponent, Little That's Rock, right. will be in here Saturday at 2. This event will be cool for a lot of reasons. As you mentioned, it keeps Little Rock on the schedule, which both schools want to do. 
you get a chance to play some non-conference home games, which in volleyball you're not always guaranteed to get because typically you're going to play weekend multi-team events for about the first four weeks, and then boom, you're in the conference play. So get to do that at home was big. And it was big, I know, for Coach Gerwig to not just play at home but to do it on his first weekend, his first season as A-State head coach to start at home was something he was excited about. The A-State soccer team began their season last week. They're off to a one-and-one start. They lost to UAPB in the season opener. Last Thursday, lost that match one to nothing, and then they bounced back, defeated UCA on Sunday afternoon, three to nothing, and a historic win for head coach Brian Dooley, his 250th career victory. Well, it was actually, it was, those scores were one nil and three nil. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I forgot about the nil. Yes, you're right. Uh, yeah, listen, uh, I have no concerns about the A-State volleyball team. And I had people, you know, asking me. The soccer would, team? Uh, yeah, about the soccer team. They had people texting me, you know, they dropped the season opener, one nothing to UAPB. It's like, what's going on? I said, well, number one, credit UAPB. Number two, you got a, a soccer program that's replacing the best player in the history of the program replacing the best goalkeeper in the history of the program and had two more key contributors go transfer to SEC schools. They're figuring it out, right? They're talented. They had a bunch of young talent. I'm not concerned about the the state of the uh, soccer team. Yeah, they are back-to-back Sunbelt Conference champions, and we fully expect them to get things going, and certainly a, a good start with that with Sunday's win over Central Arkansas. And again, congratulations to Coach Dooley for that 250th win. A couple of games coming up this week. Thursday at 2, they'll be home again against Northwestern State. And then Sunday at 1, they'll play their lone non-conference road game of the season as they travel to Fayetteville. Going to take on the Razorbacks. And this is, what, the third time they've met? Is that right? Yeah, that may be right. I mean, honestly, I think it's been scheduled more times than it actually happened. I know Arkansas came here in a spring season uh, a year or so ago. Like I said, the, the, I think it, it goes back to maybe even 2020 when it was on the schedule yeah. and the match that didn't get to happen. The start of the season got pushed back. So these two programs have been pretty committed to playing one another ever since they've been allowed to. All right, we're going to take a timeout here. You know that guy in the cowboy hat that's always on the A-State sideline? We've got him in studio. It's Robert Spear joining us here on the Second to None podcast, presented by Simmons Bank, right after this. When we play today, we win something bigger than ribbons or trophies. We win our tomorrows. Wherever we play, wherever we fight, wherever we overcome odds, we're winning our way. Simmons Bank is committed to supporting women athletes in the communities we serve and are proud to be an official sponsor of A-State Women's Athletics. Not just for a season, but for a winning future. Seasons are short, but fierce is forever. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. We welcome you back into the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. We are joined now in studio by former A-State defensive end, A-State Hall of Honor member, currently the head of team security for A-State football. Did you know you had that title? I, I thought I was considered a consultant. Robert Spear. And I'm giving you that title because if you look in the media guide this year, you're listed as the head of team security. Well, How about that? You can't believe anything Jerry Scott puts in that book. That's very true. <laughs> well, here's the thing. So you're right, but 
Who are we kidding? Jerry Scott didn't do that media guide. Mark Taylor did. So you can believe stuff, Mark Taylor. So now I do believe you're the chief of security because Mark Taylor put it in there. Well, you're probably correct. <laughs> yeah, Mark Taylor's credibility is a little bit better than Jerry's. Now, you were with the state police for how long? 38 years and two months. 38 years and two months. And even after you stepped away from the state police, you continued to help with the team. You're on the sidelines. What he wants to know is, after you planned it, when did you start traveling with the gorillas? <laughs> oh boy i'm glad you got a new job bobo because you stink at this one i'm on new jobs bobo it's about time you know before he didn't have to get out of bed before noon just do like a three-hour yeah. job every yeah afternoon. that's all he did yeah anyway go ahead well we know each other quite well if you yes, can't tell true. that part when did you start doing that though well that's a good question first game i know was against university of texas Okay, so it was with Coach Roberts. With Coach Roberts, So that was 2007. Yes. Kelly Baggett with Jonesboro PD had done it for a couple of years after Lieutenant J.R. Hankins had got promoted and left, and he started it. He was the first one to start traveling with the team under Joe Hollis when he came here. Of course, we always joked about that Hollis needed that protection the seasons they were having <laughs> from back the, then. From the A-State fans, yeah, not the other team. That was some ugly years back in the, in the <laughs> 90s. But uh, Kelly Baggett did it. Then uh, I took over for him. You know, I had the opportunity to do it after uh, Hankins left, but uh, my kids were involved in high school sports, and I didn't want to miss all that, traveling on weekends. Sure. So after they got out of school, I took it over. And like I said, I think it was 2004, 2005. We'd have to look back in the Mark Taylor's media guide <laughs> to make sure. But it was under Coach Roberts. Y'all remember the story about Texas, how mm-hmm. we got messed around down there. Oh, absolutely. Got cheated. It was interesting after that game, Texas coach had his Texas Rangers with him, and uh, Corey Leonard, you know, had a heck of a game. The Ranger came over to me and said, hey, uh, Coach Brown wants to see the quarterback and talk to him. Says, can you find him for me? So I went over and got Corey, took him over to Coach Brown there in the middle field. He grabbed Corey around the neck and says, you did a hell of a game. You almost beat us. Says, I liked the way you played and all this stuff. And Mm. I thought that was really, really neat that i never seen a coach do that before. Yeah. Ever. Really classy. Oh, yeah. And almost beat him. Could have beat him. Probably should have beat him. Had a chance to beat him. Well, we, we got a bad break on, well, bad break. It, it was a bad call on. We got hosed. We kick. got hosed. <laughs> Tyrell Johnson had a heck of a He was the best player on the field. He really he was. He sure did. So, yeah, just so people who might not have been around there, we're not, like, it's not sour grapes that we're sitting around saying we got a bad call. Was scored to make it twenty-one thirteen. Recovered an onside kick. It was called an illegal formation. Had to retry it. Texas recovers the ball, right. runs out the clock, and on Tuesday, the the director of officials sends an email saying, "Oh yeah, they missed that call. That yeah. wasn't an illegal formation." And that's back before replay. I remember being in Coach Roberts' office right after he got that call, mm-hmm. and him thinking, "Well, what good does that do me <laughs> yeah, now? Whoop de do. Do you even want to know that at that point?" And something else I remember about that game, of course, you know, it was my first game, and uh, Jeff Blake, who's coaching over at Walnut Ridge now, you know, he was a walk-on from Green County Tech. The Green County Tech. Yeah, the Tech. Coach Roberts looked at him out there on the field, and I don't know if Blake even remembers this, but I was standing around with Coach Roberts. He said, it's a little bit different than the Green County Tech Perigold game, isn't it, here with this crowd? <laughs> you know, here he's a walk-on fullback fixing start, you know, a crowd of 90,000. 
Uh, I remember the response from Texas, and you mentioned the comments from Mac Brown afterwards, but the very next year when we went in and, and beat Texas A&M, I remembered hearing the story, and I think Dr. Lee may have told us this on the plane, that they fired off the cannon at Texas as soon as they announced the score <laughs> of the A-State A&M game. From what we could understand is the only time that they could remember the cannon being fired off after something like that. I'm sure. That's and a, I'm sure it, a lot to do with A&M yeah. being the team that, that was defeated that day. Obviously, no uh, love lost between those two schools. And that love match is fixing to restart again. That's right. Thank goodness. <laughs> sure is. But, but I, you've been enjoying this for now 15 years, oh, right? Oh, yeah. Plus, you know, my first introduction to Arkansas State football was uh, back in 1965. My dad was a state trooper assigned here. Of course, they worked the games back then, you know, traffic control and crowd control on the sidelines at the old Case Field. Of course, I was in the fifth grade then, you know, 10, 11 years old, going to the games with him, standing down there on the sideline and seeing Coach Ellender, you know, coaches winning teams back then in the 60s and just, you know, been my school ever since. Did you ever think, I know you went to Jonesboro High School, were there other opportunities coming out of high school? Did you consider – any place else? <laughs> Go ahead. Yes, I, I had the opportunity to play with a lot of great athletes at Jonesboro High School, and we were very successful. Of course, when you're successful, then that brings more scouts and eyes onto your team. And yes, out of high school, I it was, it was really unusual back then. You had letters of intent that you could sign with conferences back then. So you had the Southwest Conference, then you had the Missouri Valley, the Southland, and you know, of course, the Big Eight, the original Big Eight, and all those schools back then. And so you could sign an early signing date with a conference letter tent. And I signed with Memphis. Then I signed with uh, Arkansas, out the Southwest and Southland with Arkansas State. So all that meant was those schools in that conference could not recruit you anymore after that. So hmm. then it became a kind of a three way recruiting thing between Memphis, Arkansas, and Arkansas State for the national signing date, which was later on. So he kind of went through two two different recruiting periods back then. Majority of people wanted me to go to Arkansas because, you know, they do have a, a great fan base. Just to tell you the truth, I never drank that Kool-Aid, you know. <laughs> you know, since the fifth grade, you know, I was I was involved with Arkansas State. Coach Davidson lived right up the street from me, played in his backyard with his, his son, Billy Jean, saw all those great players at his house. Clovis Wheeze and the James Hamiltons and the Wayne Dortons and Dan Buckley and the Burgies, all those people over there. They'd come over there and hang out because Bulls just had that personality where if they were having problems or anything, they'd come to his house and they'd work through that, whatever area they were having mm-hmm. problems with. And as a little, little kid, snot-nosed kid looking in the window there and all these big football players in there in his room, you know, talking to him and uh, I was just – my school. Yeah, you were enamored with Arkansas yeah. State from much earlier age. So right. you end up coming to A State. You're a defensive end from 1973 to 1976. Did you know you're still sixth all time in career sacks? Well, I need to put an asterisk by there. Now, why is that? Well, you know, in those days, 
they might have thrown 20 times a game. Now they're throwing 50 or 60. Well, that's so true. I probably would have had 10 sacks a game. Well, no, so everybody else needs an asterisk. Yeah. No, he's, now what he's angling for is a new statistic called sacks per capita. He was n- right. number one all time. And now these guys are playing five or six years. I don't understand why they're not getting more sacks. I mean, throwing 50 times a game and playing six, seven years and in a career, they're only getting 20 sacks. I mean, come on now. <laughs> you know, come on now. You, you, know had, you had 10 of those 19 sacks your senior year. That's ninth most in a single season at A-State. Well, Chet, to realize my first two years, we only played 10 games. You were 7-3 and three each of your first two that's, years. That's right. Then your junior season was the 11 and 0. Let me tell you something about that 75 team. That was a lot of competition getting that quarterback. They didn't give half sacks or quarter sacks or that stuff they do nowadays. I mean, you know, you either got it or you didn't get it. But competing with those guys like Eddie Morgan and Bill Music and Dickie Dixon and Jimmy Lisko going after that quarterback. There are a lot of meetings at the quarterback. Exactly right. Yeah, like, you know. Now, if you can just get in the area, they give you, you know, credit for it. <laughs> but going back to my adolescent years, and you know, my my parents were not athletes, uh, didn't know anything about athletics. But my dad was a, a trooper stationed in Monticello, and at that time, they did not have uh, campus securities officers on campuses down there, and so there they were, troopers pay, and my mother was a non-working housewife with three kids and uh we lived in monticello and they had a little coach there that was pretty good at that kind of time named jim jimmy red parker mm-hmm. and so same thing you know my dad would go to the games and jimmy red parker his family lived next door to us down in faculty housing and grew up with him and you know always at that time always wanted to be a bow weevil and just uh that was my first experience with with that and uh and i was so enamored with uh coach parker with his career when he left there. He left Monticello, Bow Weevils, and went to Citadel. Then, of course, later on, went to Clemson and uh, had a heck of a coaching career over the years. And it was very disappointing that uh, when they had a chance to hire him, did not hire him and hired another guy that set us back a long, long time, not mentioning any names. Not going to? No, no. You know, well, he ain't listening. Ain't, <laughs> yeah, he's not. But the person took Lacell's place that put us back many, many years. <laughs> But, you know, I look back so often, and I've talked to Coach Park about that later on. He wanted this job so much up here. He, you know, been an Arkansas guy and, and everything. That, and he was in the end of his coaching career, kind of. I think we were really would have been very successful if he had came up here, especially having Lacell leave and another, you know, Fordyce yeah, guy come right. up here and take his place. But as usual, politics and stuff gets involved. There's your path to Arkansas State, and obviously we're going to talk about a lot of that stuff, but you're the son of a state trooper. Mm-hmm. You yourself, you said one for 38 years. Was there ever a and doubt? two months. Two months. And two months. Yes. Was there ever a doubt that was what you were going to do? Never, never. You know, I knew what I was going to do. Uh, one thing about being a policeman, you never get rich, but uh, you never go hungry. No matter where you go and travels, you're always going to have a, a friend there and a policeman somewhere. If you need something for your family or in your travels and it's all about helping people and, and uh, doing the correct things and uh, it's what police officers are expected to do and I was fortunate I think to do that very well during my, during my career and my dad set a good a good example in that 
and my mother, you know, ended up being a school teacher, so we had a lot of money flowing in the house. My dad had been a policeman. And <laughs> I'll tell you a funny story here. When I was drafted by the, the Falcons, and I got my, my signing money, and, you know, I'm not going to say how much it was. It's, of course, at that time, I think my parents, you know, were probably making $6,000 a year, you know, each of them. And so I went down to uh, visit Mr. Acock down at the Pontiac Place and bought me a brand-new 1976 Grand Prix with a sunroof, AM, FM, 8-track stereo in that car, leather seats, power seats, you know, power windows, just everything you could do, and I paid cash for it, like $3,500. My parents just said, I can't believe you went down there and paid cash, $3,500 for a car. <laughs> I've just been blessed, you know. I've been blessed to have the – athletic ability and I uh, was blessed to play with so many great players over the years you know when I back in those days you didn't have peewee football you know my first experience with football was in the seventh grade at any camp didn't even know how to put my shoulder pads on put them on backwards and the thigh pads the wrong way and that's not good for a young man to put your <laughs> thigh pads in the wrong way <laughs> and some of y'all would know what I'm talking about <laughs> And then uh, out of junior high coach named Roger Callahan, who's still alive, that lives over at Clarksville, that was such a great role model for me. And to have that experience, he was a he was a great coach. Uh, he mentored us very well. And we had some uh, good teams in junior high. Of course, get to the high school, and Coach Callahan moved up with us from, from Anticamp to Jonesboro. Of course, the famous Don Riggs mm-hmm. was there. And, you know, Coach Riggs is the type of coach that uh, – he might not have been the greatest coach in the world, but he surrounded himself with the best coaches. You know, the Doug Cobbs and Roger Callahan's. And, and you guys played the longest game? The longest game in the history of Arkansas, seven full quarters against Hot Springs. That probably could be a storyline in itself. Now, how many sacks did you have in that game? That was a game of survival because the field was muddy. It was like playing in a cow pasture in the mud and, you know, it was blow freezing and the sleet and rain mm. and – at the end of the day, you know, Hot Springs, who we played, passed the ball all the time. And they didn't keep sacks back then. You know, that's before yeah. sack stuff. You kept tackles. Of course, go to Arkansas State, and they had some losing teams before we got there. They had the great teams in the 60s and the 1970 teams. And, mm-hmm. of course, Coach Ellender leaves and goes to Tulane, takes his coaching staff with him, and Coach Davidson comes in. And, you know, it takes him a couple of years to uh, rebound, but – you know, it's really hard uh, when I signed with Arkansas. And, you know, I told Coach Davidson I was probably going there. That really cut him deep. But he was, he was very gracious, and he kind of was like, you'll be back. I said, what do you mean you'll be back? He says, all these guys come from Jonesboro, go up there to Arkansas, always come back. And he was correct. Uh, a lot of great athletes from Jonesboro High School went up there and ended up coming back. You know, Clovis Sweeney, Tommy Sane, a lot of those guys – you know, went up there first. Coach Riggs went up there first. And then then up. Bill Templeton back. went to Arkansas first. And Bill Templeton sure did. Grass not always greener up there in those on those mountains. <laughs> but you know, Coach Broyles, you know, in the headlines of the Gazette, you know, called me a traitor for coming to school here and just couldn't believe it. You know, and I was fortunate to, I guess, be one of the top recruits in the state, and that was a big plus for Arkansas State, I guess, to get me. We had a lot of uh, great kids or players, teammates from the state of Arkansas. You know, if you look at our book back then, probably 70% of the kids were from Arkansas that played at Arkansas State. And the, and the rest of them were the 
from St. Louis area, the Ken Jones, the Muck and Sturms, mm. music, those type guys. When people ask you about the 1975 team that went 11-0, and what do you tell them? Oh, <laughs> boy. That was a – everything came together that year. That was just amazing. No one would have thought it because we knew we had a great team, but we lost a great quarterback in Steve Burks. And it's really a, a shame that Steve Burks has never been inducted in ASU Hall of Honor. Here's a guy that's like 6'4", 195, great athletes, could do everything you punted, played receiver, played quarterback. He was athlete of the year for the state of Arkansas out of Cabot because he played everything. He won decathlon. And I remember my first game, if I can regress a second, my first game in 1973 at Case Field, uh, we were playing Abilene Christian, and Steve Burks scored seven rushing touchdowns. Mm. Seven. That's in the history books. About killed that horse <laughs> running around that track. <laughs> well, at least the cheerleaders didn't do push-ups back then. Oh, no, 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 no. No, that horse, I mean, it, it ran – that's back in the days y'all aware of. The, you know, the horse ran around the yeah. track. You know, the chief big track – Run around the cinder track, and and the score ended up being fifty six to forty six. Abilene Kristen threw, you know, like for a million yards. Then Burks, you know, ran. Of course, we were all power runners back then with Coach Davidson. You know, pass was just something that you did every thirty plays, maybe. You know, just <laughs> throw them off balance. You know, but uh, nineteen seventy five team, we knew we had everything. Coach Withrow was good about going out to uh, the junior colleges out in Kansas, in that area, and he brought in a couple pretty good little running backs, you know, named Leroy Harris and Dennis Bolden, uh, that had some uh, nice talent and brought in some, uh, you know, receivers that were good blockers. <laughs> That's what receivers did back yeah, then. Yeah, I think yeah. he lied to him. Yeah, we're a throwing team, you know. That's a lie. But only thing was, didn't have anybody to replace. Steve Burks as quarterback, he started 73 and 74 and led us to 7-3, you know, seasons. So there's a guy named David Hines who I'd played against in high school from Little Rock McClellan and uh, was coached by Mike Malham, senior. I think he kind of whispered, said, hey, you know, David Hines, pretty good high school quarterback for me in, in Little Rock McClellan, and he knows the running game. And David had been starting in all-conference safety, you know, the two years prior to that. And so they moved him over, and the rest is history. He left his left undefeated in his career. Hmm. You know, never got beat as a quarterback. You know, he wasn't about five foot nine, but he looked like he's six foot because he had a big old bushy, you know, afro, and uh, he could run that option. It was hard to defend for one thing because he he was such a good read. You know, when he's coming down that line at you, making that pitch, and you had that pulling guard. You know, and you had to face. Our opponents, you had to face, you know, Ken Jones or T.J. Humphreys pulling around, you know, blocking. And then you had big Leroy Harris, and there's fullback just wearing you. And that's back in the days when they could block below your knees. And it got ugly for a lot of teams we played against. It got ugly for me during practice. There I was six six and had a lot of legs, you know, length to form the attack. And, of course, we had a defense that was just amazing. You know, you look through all the people that were drafted off those teams. It was just a record-setting year for us. Just a shame we never got to play in a bowl game. Well, this, I don't know that we've ever talked about this because you guys are famously the, you know, it's 11 and 0 and nowhere to go. That's correct. Led to the creation ultimately of the Independence Bowl. That's correct. Because you guys were 11 and 0. I mean, I want to hear a little bit about the 
no place to go. I mean, like after you guys wrap up the regular season, what did you think was going to happen? When did you when did you find out? Hey, the season's over. There's no bowl game. Well, you have to realize that back then uh, the only bowl games were like the Cotton Bowl, Sugar Bowl, Rose Bowl, Liberty Bowl. I think the Tangerine Bowl. There's only like six or seven bowls back bowl games back then. We really thought we might have had a chance to uh, go Tangerine Bowl. I know uh, Louisiana Tech, after we beat them to win the championship, a lot of our fans were down there and had tangerines, and they started throwing them on the field, you know, hoping, oh, wow. hoping that would happen. <laughs> but it uh, turned out to be rotten tomatoes, you know, in the, in the end. But, you know, we didn't know any better because there wasn't bowl games really back then except those few. So, But, um, yeah, it was pretty disappointing because the next year when they formed the Independence Bowl, that had been my senior year, and McNeese – Got to play in it, which was you know really kind of sad because Tech, Louisiana Tech, and Arkansas State had dominated all these years before, never got to go to a bowl game, and then you know we we have a down year in '76. Louisiana Tech has a down year, and darn McNeese, which hadn't done anything, you know, got to go and play Tulsa, and so like two representatives from each team get to go there during that week and participate in some youth camps and stuff like that. And uh, Dean Pryor was our athletic director, and he, he took Roy Painter and I down there. I looked at Roy. I said, Roy, I don't care anything about going to the game. So we just packed up and came home. I was going to ask you if you've <laughs> ever been to an Independence Bowl. Mm-hmm. Well, I came close, but no, you know, we left. You, you just thought it would hurt too much, thinking yeah. that you could have been there? Yeah, we sure did. I mean, 76 was a really disappointing year. We were 5-6. and six. I've never been on the losing team before. And the loser – be so good as we were but you know we had a few uh individual spots that that uh we were weak in and it, it, it caused us problems during the year and never could find a solution and still disappointing i can talk about all the i can remember those losses those five losses more than i can remember all the wins over the years really it leaves a bad taste in your mouth you know your senior year is supposed to be your special year it didn't happen well look you you were still on that team, your junior year, and your license plate kind of. <laughs> yes, I do have a tells special the story license plate. there. <laughs> well, you know, I got a license plate. So uh, eleven and zero, right? I issue eleven and zero, and okay. I got a lot of uh, questions about that. You know, I can usually tell when somebody's a of my age that remembers. You know, back then they'll they'll figure it out real quick. But the like my grandkids didn't know what it was, or my daughters or anything, so I had to explain to that. Of course, my teammate Joel Mullins, who I went to high school with, offensive line, offensive tackle, and played on you know all the way through college, high school and college with me. And uh, he's got one that says the opposite. He reversed his 11-0 ASU. Huh. So we, okay. we have a picture. He had a Ford F-150 truck just like mine. So we had him in the parking lot next to each other and took a picture one day of us standing by him, you know, pointing at him. So pretty unique. You were one of many fantastic defensive ends to go through this program over the years. And because of where you've been on the sidelines, especially over the course of the last 15 years, you've been able to see a lot of the other guys. Javon Roland-Jones, Alex Carrington, Brandon Joyner, even guys like Tim Starson, Chris Odom. And last year, JoJo Azugu, and now Kavon Bennett back for a second year. When you look at all these defensive ends that have come through, are 
there's some that kind of stand up above the rest. I don't know. That Bennett kid last year was pretty good, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's really good. You know, you know and I always pay attention uh, to that position. You know, every time I watch watch a game or watch him practice something, just to see how they uh, how their motor runs, you know, what kind of techniques they're using. Because we were taught so much a different technique than, you know, back then you could slap heads. You know, first thing you did is learn how to slap that head of that offense lineman, you know, try to turn his helmet around. And for some reason, they outlawed that. For some reason. I just don't understand that. But it always looked good when, you know, when you looked at the guy and his helmet was turned sideways, you, you knew you had a pretty good lick on him. <laughs> <laughs> and that's back when you could tackle quarterbacks, too. And I, I, I watched Clovis Sweeney do this so many times when I was a young, young player. You know, grab him by the by the jersey collar and just do that sling. You know, just rodeo him and sling him halfway across the field. And of course, they outlawed that too. And almost nowadays, you got to get permission to tackle a quarterback. Where you can do say, that. How many games would you have been thrown out of? Well, I did get thrown out of two games. Really? Yeah, in my college career. <laughs> And both of them were homecoming games. <laughs> you my, got ejected from homecoming not once but twice? Yes, my first two years. Of course, as a freshman, I was, uh, you know, was on all the special teams. And, uh, of course, back then, that homecoming was really big. That's when you bought your mother a cassage and she put on her best dress and, you know, your girlfriend a cassage and all this stuff during homecoming. And they scored and – I got in a fight on the kickoff. I, I don't know why that happened. I think the guy – I was just defending myself, and the guy attacked me. <laughs> that sounds right. And I would, as usual, the second guy always gets caught, right? Yes. <laughs> and homecoming at that time was kind of late in the year, and it's cold. Get kicked out and come run over the sideline, Coach Davis, and just – oh, he just gets after me. Of course, all my freshman buddies who were red shirts weren't playing, you know, were down on the end of the bench. Of course, you know what they were called, turds. You know, all the freshman turds didn't dress out. We're down there on the end of the bench. Coach Davidson comes over and grabs me in the face mask. Can you imagine that? A coach grabbing a player in a face mask? Kind of jerked. You know, he was a little short man, so he kind of jerked my six six frame down to his level, which was about five foot nine. He said, Spear, what'd you do? I said, Coach, I was defending myself. You know, he attacked me. And he said, just get down there with the rest of those turds. <laughs> so... You know, my mom was embarrassed. My dad thought it was pretty cool, but my mom was embarrassed that, you know, I got kicked out of the game. And so, golly, the next year, same thing happened. You know, and I was starting at that time. And I uh, was still on special teams, and I get caught throwing a late punch and get kicked out again, and it was on a homecoming. So my mom was disappointed again. And so the next homecoming, she said, please don't get kicked out of the game this year. <laughs> That was always kind of a, a running joke in our family. I think it's safe to say you're the only person in yeah. program history to get kicked out of well, two homecoming we need to get, games. We need Jerry and Mark to put that uh, in the media guide. Yeah. Most homecoming ejections, career. Yeah, <laughs> I know it. I'll tell you a funny story. The last game in K Stadium, which was 1973, of course, we were going to that game. You know, we were six and six and three, so playing Texas Arlington, and it was a good game. Texas Arlington had a very physical team back in those days. I think maybe they got some of their players out of Huntsville Penitentiary system down there in Texas because uh, they looked like grown men, you know, with tattoos and beards and smoking cigarettes on the sidelines. And mean machine. And mean, yeah. And 
And so we're playing them, and it was it was a close game. And uh, at the end of the game, we score, and the last score in that stadium was a was a safety by Bill Music, and it was in the be the north end zone of that parking lot now, if you know where the old stadium is. And offense took over, and they were driving down there to score, and the fight broke out. I mean, it was a bench clearing fight. Of course, as a freshman, we all took off like free licks, you know, out there. Everybody took off fighting. And we ended up winning the game. And Coach Davidson, like I said, he's a little short man, you know, about five foot nine, about 300 pounds. And he gets in the locker room. And the locker room at that time was under OK Stadium. And it wasn't anything fancy. It's like a, a wooden locker with a nail on the wall to hang your stuff up. Coach Davidson jumps up on the – well, I shouldn't say that. He got up on the locker. You know, we're all hooping and hollering because I had to fight one game. He said, boys, not only did we kick their ass in the game, we kicked their ass in the fight – now let's all go to Roy's and drink some beer. <laughs> of course, 18-year-old freshman said, heck yeah, let's go. You know, so we parted out all night like like that. But, uh, but that was good times back then. You know, we had our own athletic dorms back then, right there on the corner of Caraway and uh, Aggie Road and his football dorm. And, you know, I think that's one thing that uh, these kids are missing nowadays because – you know, we lived together. Nobody had cell phones. Very few people had cars. Uh, had one pay phone in there. So we had to live with each other and communicate with each other. Yeah. And we knew everybody about everything. Knew who their girlfriends were. Knew their sisters. Knew their parents. Because we all were out there as a family together. And I think it's one thing that college athletes are missing nowadays. Is it seems like now we're getting too much of a, being individuals. Like, a, how can I make myself stand out more than anybody else so i maybe get nil money or more publicity or more tweeters or twitters or facebook or any of that stuff you know like then we were just family worrying about winning and and having a good time was dating a teammate's sister allowed oh boy i tell you what some of that happened <laughs> <laughs> sure did <laughs> thank goodness some of my sisters had to worry about that <laughs> but uh I'll tell you what was unique, and I'll bring this up. And I know Brad had the measure of meeting Joe Holloman. Mm-hmm. And some of the football players I've been around over the years, you know, not as many as I wish, will ask me a lot about the history. And, you know, back, as we call, say, back in the day, and they want to know how what it was like back in the 70s and stuff like that. And, and I've told them the story, you know, about – told some story about my recruiting class was the largest recruiting class of black athletes for the football team. Uh, we had like, I think, six that came in, and there were just only probably that, about that many prior to that on the whole team. But, then, you know, I had the great pleasure of playing with Joe Holloman and David Mitchell. David Mitchell was the first walk-on black athlete mm-hmm. for uh, ASU. And then uh, Joe Holloman was the first scholarship high school player ever get a scholarship you know play for just amazing amazing athletes plus as i get older i'll just kind of look back and like how would i respond if i'd been in their position you know being the first the first for anything is hard especially the first because there's some racial ties back then that they were mistreated even by their own teammates uh, but they endured and i think that was because of the you know, their hard work and the respect they had from their teammates. You know, David Mitchell uh, was a tailback my freshman year, and that, that dude had calves bigger than my thighs. 
and and he was he was so much fun to run watch run because he was just a power runner turned out to be a heck of a coach and had a great career you know coaching over the years unfortunately now you know coach mitch as we called him you know is bad health and declining you know i just i guess i've been blessed i've been part of the history of transitions at the football stadium from the old case field to to the new field centennial bank now which used to be called Indian Indian Stadium. You know, we we went for that on-campus facility that was so, so unique because all the dormitories and all the sororities and fraternities would pour out for the games. If you look at old pictures back then, they'd fly their fraternity flags. You had the horse, you know, you had the brave. It just so much tradition. It had a heck of a band back then and Don Mixon. Those bands were just award-winning bands back in those days. And uh, the big pep rallies on campus. I don't know if y'all know the history where the music building used to be on Caraway Road. You know, on Thursday nights we had a big pep rally, which would be where the parking lot, parking uh, garage is right now. It's kind of sloped here, and we'd have a pep rally there every Thursday night. We'd come out of the dorm, and the band would be watch, walking down Caraway Road. Now, you realize Caraway Road was the main road. Yeah. That's back before the— <clears throat> Went all the way through campus. Yeah, back before the uh, stadium Redwood Boulevard then. And it was a state highway. Well, the campus— Security officers blocked the road, and the band would come marching up Caraway Road, and all the students would come out of Twin Tires and, and all the dormitories and get behind the band and walk up to the uh, pep rally and have a heck of a pep rally. So we started a tradition. You know, after we won our first game in 1975, we decided that uh, as a team bonding experience, we'd uh, go down to a place called the Rib House in Truman and uh, have a little, little team bonding experience there after the pep rally. <laughs> which I never knew why it was called the rib house because I never saw anybody eat a rib there, just <laughs> drink slits beer, you know, out of keg. And I mean, you fight over the pool hall, pool tables in there and and uh, a lot of good time. Of course, we had a curfew, so we always made sure we made it back to curfew, you know. But, but uh, you know, we started and the coaches found out we was doing it, but they kind of – Coach Davidson is really good about this. Don't do something that – he was very superstitious about his, his stuff. You know, he'd mow his yard – before game day at a certain time, wear the same clothes. And, and so we started this about the rip house, and he never shut us down because, you know, we worked all the way through till we were undefeated. But those are good times, you know. The rip house on Thursdays and then Roy's after wins on Saturdays, right? Life was good. <laughs> <laughs> Life was simple back then. Sure was. You know, he – I'm sure there's a lot of drama. Of course, there's a lot of drama going on in the world at that time. You know, Vietnam War just ended. <laughs> it's kind of funny. We had some players that were uh, war veterans from Vietnam, and hmm. and they'd come in, you know, and there they were, you know, fighting in the war, you know. And they'd come in and sit in their, sit in their locker, you know, and have tattoos on their arms and smoking cigarettes, and coaches come by bumming cigarettes from them. And, you know, I'm thinking – well, that sure is odd. Got any names? Like guys that did that? Big Mike Hendricks, about 6'8", about 300 pounds. And that was back in the days where you didn't have any 300-pounders. Needless to say, he was not a tunnel rat. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. army, you know I mean, Big Mike. But Big Mike had played there two years. Then he went over and served. Then he came back. And there I was, just like I said. Uh, you know, he had kids and sitting there in the you know, locker smoking and in the shower smoking and – you know, he, he just and we had you know some others, a player named Ray, then Lloyd Walls. You know, Lloyd Walls was a great defense back, and uh, 
he's from Forest City. He was the same way. Uh, he, he was actually a tunnel rat. And, you know, he never talked about it. Of course, when you're that age, you don't really realize what these guys did. And later on, you know, I found out Lloyd was a tunnel rat where they'd give him a forty five pistol and a flashlight, and he'd go down in these tunnels looking for the VC that were dug up in there. And he just, oh, wow. just realized what those guys went yeah. through. Thank goodness. And, of course, a lot of football players were in ROTC back then. Because uh, if you went in ROTC and went to college, you were deferred from actually shipping out to Vietnam. Plus, they got paid when they were in ROTC. So a lot of these guys had families, and that's how they provided for their families. We can sit here and yep. hear stories from you all day long. And by the way, if you want to hear all the Robert Spear stories you want, just show up for lunch at Lost Pizza pretty much any day <laughs> of the week. He'll be there. You know, I've been blessed to be around all these different head coaches, you know, like from Miniel and they're all the way through. And, and I was thinking on the way over here, all the different personalities they have. And y'all got to experience that, too, in your line of work. I sure. Guess, I guess I get to go back a little bit yeah. more in time than y'all. You know, every coach is so unique. You know, Coach Roberts was unique in his way. I love Coach Roberts. His eyes would get bug-eyed. and Oh, yeah. He was good about throwing a, a Coke can across the locker room, almost hitting somebody or dent in a locker, you know. He never said a foul word. You know, friggin' was probably the worst word I ever heard him say. And then, you, you know, you, you had the few Freeze that came in here and in his locker room and pregame speeches were just the best in the world. You know, just makes you want, made you want to myself dress up and go out there and hit somebody, slobber knock them. And, you know, then, then Malzahn was his unique personality. Then Harson, you know, he, he had a personality. He had some uh, coaches that grounded his in his staff that were uh, the motivators. Yeah. Then you had Coach Anderson that came in, you know, for his long tenure. And now, you know, Butch Jones is just it's, – it's, I, I kind of wish the public could sit back and watch everything, but maybe it might be R-rated sometimes because it gets pretty emotional. But you have to realize these guys are doing it for a living. It's their job, and they're fighting for their livelihood and their family's livelihoods out there. So – Take it pretty pretty personal when things aren't going right. Yeah, well, we see all the different personalities, but I mean, one common theme is all these guys care tremendously oh, yes. about yes. their team, yes. and obviously, you see that right now with Coach Jones and going into year two with him. You've been out there pretty much every practice yeah. leading up to the season. What do you see out there? Well, I guarantee you, we're going to win more than two games for sure. I like a lot of the. Newcomers, I'm really excited about our defense. I, I just wish Bennett could play defensive end and linebacker at the same time. I wish we could clone <laughs> yeah. him, do a little DNA you know, on him, clone him. You he, got to know his dad quite a bit, too, just on these road trips, Cornelius. Yes, yes. So, it's, you know, of course, I'm older than he is, but I, I followed his career, you know, since he was a defense player, and that's where the best athletes play, of course. Of course. You know, his career through <laughs> Alabama and – and I tell you, the first time I ever met Cornelius was, you know, when his son came up here, and, and uh, Coach Jones invited me out there to talk to all the players and the parents that were there with him in the, in the auditorium, kind of tell them the do's and don'ts of Jonesboro. Laws are different in Arkansas than in some states as far as alcohol or drugs or carrying guns and all this. So I tr- try to teach these new players, you know, how to stay out of trouble. And, and that way their parents are hearing the same thing. And so, of course, I knew Bennett was coming in. I, knew, I wasn't realizing his dad was here with him, so I was in the bathroom, and I was in my sheriff's uniform, 
you know, my cowboy hat, standing there, what what you do in the bathroom? And I kind of looked at him and said, 0 and 5. I said, how do you feel about 0 and 5? He kind of looked at me and says, what are you talking about? I said, 0 and 5, you're famous. Then he knew what I was talking about, 0 and 5 in Super Bowls because <laughs> he lost four <laughs> filled it, or Buffalo, then one in Atlanta. And so – you know, he wasn't expecting that out of me, I don't guess, you know, to know all that. Well, you know, I mean, of course, you and I both later on got to hear his response to That's that. Right. He made a lot of money finishing second. That's right. Yeah, yeah. He told Joe Holloman that won all those uh, Canadian Football League, you know, yeah. championships at second place, paid well in the NFL Super Bowl. But uh, I've got to know him very well and his wife and uh, just lovely people, lovely people. He is so humble. And it's a crying shame that he hadn't got inducted yeah. into the Hall of Fame yet. You know, he's in, he's in everything except that. I just don't understand, but, you know, that's politics and anything. Yeah. But Kavan's a heck of a player, certainly a big part of the defense this year. I, I tell you, you know, he's such a tough player. But on Friday nights in the motel, his mom will sit him down in a chair and braid his hair. Well, that's the way it was with you, right? Yeah. I mean, it's got, I mean, yeah, I mean you're, you're talking about a beast of a football player. Yeah. If that goes on. He's a fashion designer. Yeah. He can play the piano. But this is, a, he is, this is a renaissance man. I know. It just, you know, that big old badass sitting in the chair with her mama like a little schoolboy. You know, she's combing his hair and rubbing his shoulders and, and all this stuff. And then he's fixing to go out and eat raw meat and you know, bleeding noses and all this stuff. You know, every boy's mama's boy at some time. You know, just just lovely people. Lovely people. But he is unique for sure. He's a – I still like to pull that uh, nose ring out of him. <laughs> I think I think first game I'm going to get me a nose ring and put him put in my nose and show up on the sideline and look at him. Sheriff Boyd might not like that if I show up in a sheriff's uniform with a nose ring on. <laughs> hey, as long as you got the cowboy hat, then. Yeah. You know, and I was blessed when I retired from the state police. I was really, like anybody that retires, and kind of wonder what's going to be your next step in life. And I was hoping that I could stay associated with, with ASU. Then uh, Sheriff Boyd, the Craighead County Sheriff, was nice enough to uh, transfer my commission, my law enforcement commission over to the Craighead County Sheriff's Office where I could still uh, be in law enforcement. And he was gracious enough to let me assign me to ASU Athletics. And I'm just blessed, guys. I, I mean, just like his past weekend or weekend before, I got to drive to ASU cheerleaders, you know, the St. Saint Charles, and watch him win a big regional competition that qualifies him for national. You know, I'm used to being around the other part of the athletics. Mm-hmm. Now, these are athletes. I'll tell you that right now. I'd always looked at cheerleaders kind of different different light than what they really do behind the scenes. You talking about getting up there in that competition and working and performing and some of those things they do. I had to walk out of the gym. I, I mean, it just scared to death out of me when they started doing all those flips and flipping those little girls three stories up and catching them. And uh, You realize there's more injuries in that sport than oh, there are in football. I know. There, I mean, there's many teams. I mean, there's more people in crutches there than in the football game. Going around, and uh, I was really blessed to be with them. You know, from Friday to Sunday, just a great, great group of uh, young men and women, and and they loved the university and represented the university very well. Very well behaved. Uh, they pick up after themselves on the bus a lot better than 
than other teams usually do. (laughs) (laughs) Robert Spear, we appreciate you, buddy. This has been fun hearing these stories, and hopefully we got a lot more good ones to tell after another season, which starts next week. Oh, heck yeah. It's uh, going to be here before we know it, and I'm like y'all. I'm I'm really excited about these new teams coming in the conference and going to see what they have at their home stadiums and – and letting them experience what we have. If I can tell one more story, I, was, I got, you know, when you're up there in those competitions, Gramlin State was there. Of course, that's our first opponent when we opened the season up, and their cheerleaders or their cheer squad was next to ours, and they got to be friends, and I could hear them having conversations that their cheer team would come in on Friday night, and our cheerleaders would say, hey, we'll take you out to – Places in Jonesboro, you know, I guess there's a club around there that stays open pretty late that kind of you can dance at and have a good time. Going to be close to their motel. So, you know, they're already bonding, you know, to make plans to interact and all that stuff. And, and I was talking to the, the lady that travels with them, and uh, she's been doing it a long time. And we're really excited about coming up here. Uh, that heard about our waterfalls and and our, our stadium and that, that's what we're known for anyway yeah yeah just a bonding experience for all these young people because those, those are life stories that you'll keep forever just like some of the ones i've been able to share with y'all i've been blessed all i got to say and i hope i can roll for a few more years at least to 2015 or 2025 yeah, I'm yeah, saying, yeah i just hope the good lord keeps me alive so i can witness uh, the biggest upset in the world or in arkansas history i don't know if i could say upset and just hope it happens. As I say, I'll believe when I see it. It'll be fun. I hope y'all this are around. This has been fun, too. Hope y'all are around then, well, still. Me, well, too. We hope so, too. Yeah. And that's Robert Spear joining well, let's us. do it again. Here on the Second to None podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. We've got more to come right after this. The Simmons Bank Card Alerts app lets you get more from your Simmons debit and credit cards. Set transaction alerts to be notified of certain card activity and choose how you receive each alert. You can suspend your card, set a spend limit, or decline specific transaction types. You can even manage multiple cards. If your debit card is lost or stolen or you're opening a new account, you can immediately get a new card just by visiting your nearby Simmons branch. Learn more at SimmonsBank.com forward slash debit card. Simmons Bank, member FDIC. Wrapping things up here on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. Again, thanks to our buddy Robert Spear for coming in. It really enjoyed hearing those stories. And believe me, we could go yeah. all day long hearing from Robert Spear and more of those great stories. Because yeah, there's not a lot. I mean, there, there's not a lot of format to it, right? You just sort of open up the mic and and take off. And even though we kind of touched on things that were on our list of things to touch, it may not have been in that order. No, nope. you never had to look down because we just it, it sort of takes care of itself. And I'll tell you about Spear. That for somebody where, where he's been so beneficial to me is that uh, he loves the place like I do, uh, and he's so connected to so many people across the history of it, either as a player or the time since around the program. So you know so many people throughout the history of the program, and I think he's identified me over time as somebody that kind of enjoys and appreciates that part of it. So he's funneled just so many of those contacts and and stories my way especially we're doing that show and you're getting content you know so I, I he's been a great resource for me and and i appreciate him doing that over the years yeah we talked earlier about all the stuff that was going on in athletics this week as far as on the field stuff but there was a bit of news that came out last week that 
mentioned our very own Brad Bobo and um, a big move coming up for you. You're actually moving from one role to another and leaving us here at East Arkansas Broadcasters, going back to Arkansas State University as the new Associate Athletic Director of Marketing. Yeah, sort of a a situation that kind of came up organically where there was an opening and uh, some interest and just conversations and just kind of, yeah, we just went through the process. Honestly, the the same as however many people went through it and, you know, ends up getting done. And, you know, I was in a... uh, I was in a great situation that sucked to be in as this thing played out because I knew that I was going to either way. I was going to get to end up working, you know, at a place that uh, I care deeply about with people you, you care about doing work you care about. That was going to happen no matter what. And so what's supposed to be viewed like professionally sometimes as a can't miss deal wasn't very much fun to be in, to be honest with you. But I, I am happy to go back. It's, it's great uh, for my family. You know, situation obviously having two high school students that will be a state students in the next couple of years. It was a big opportunity there. So, you know, looking forward to that. You know, next week get show up for game week. We no no big deal, but to be the marketing guy and show up in the busiest week of the season. That's right. And I'll back you up. I mean, and just kind of talking with you through the process i know it was a it was a difficult decision for you because you do have a couple of roles here where you really loved coming mm-hmm. to work here but you also see something that you're passionate about on the other side so yeah and here and and i'll just say this it speaks to the relationship between arkansas state and east arkansas broadcasters i worked at arkansas state for nine years I've worked at East Arkansas Broadcasters for nine years. There are people, plenty of them, that don't know I've ever changed jobs. Yeah, I believe that. Likewise, when this announcement came out, now it's technically going to an entirely new employer and doing an entirely new job. I got congratulated, you know, and it was quite honestly, the reaction was overwhelming, but multiple just congratulations on your promotion. People still don't think I'm going to another place. And that just speaks to me to the, the kind of the, the way EAB and Arkansas State are, are woven together is that there are people who never know I've changed jobs and there are people that still don't think I'm changing jobs. I've just gotten a promotion. So if that's how you want to view it, I'll take it. Well, I, I know I put out something on social media last week talking just about how long we've been together, which is my entire time at Arkansas State. I'm going into my 18th year i know you've been on the air in some capacity with arkansas state the last 19 Mm -hmm. years but the good news is we're going to keep doing this podcast together yeah no reason why not i mean it promotes arkansas state and last i glanced through that press release i think it's what i'm paid to do so (laughs) (laughs) might as well do it this way well we've enjoyed this a lot and conversations like the one we just had with with robert spear this stuff is, is a lot of fun for us, so we're going to continue to do this, and that means we're going to be right back here with you next week. By the way, do we have anything that we need to vent about before we get out of here? We've had a lot today. Yeah, I don't think so, but check back with me next week because I'm play, I'm scheduled to play in a mixed pairs golf tournament with my wife this weekend. So <laughs> 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 Who knows what next week might sound like. 
All right. Well, it's been a fun episode. Thanks again to our buddy Robert Spear for dropping by. For Brad, I'm Matt. You've been listening to the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank.